0: Turn with me, please, in the Scriptures to 2 Peter, the third chapter, and 2 Timothy, the second chapter. 2 Peter 3 and 2 Timothy 2. We've been on this for some time on a series called The Way Out. And uh, the Lord's helped us marvelously in it, I, I know He has, because it's taken on some things and gone some directions I didn't know about, I hadn't planned. And uh, that's the way it always is when we follow Him, it's beyond us. But is there a way out? Yes. And is there a way back? Yes. Now if you haven't been with us, we've covered a lot of ground, we actually are, are near the end of this series. That doesn't mean you've covered it all. It's just like you unhooked from part of it. and Later on, we'll come back and hook to it again as the Lord would lead us. But uh, the Lord knows what we need for each season. And just like in your diet, sometimes your diet can be deficient in one area, maybe too much of something in another area, and you need an adjustment. And uh, then it, that can change from year to year. And all the Word of God is good, but the Lord knows what we need emphasized to us right now. What's the most uh, pertinent and most relevant? One of the great things you ever did for yourself was pray for your ministers. Amen. Right? Because what comes through them affects you. Yes. And so believe with us. Pray for us concerning these things. Because uh, this is bigger than us and even than you. You know, with technology now, we have people that could be feeding on these messages years from now. Exactly. In other parts of the world. And we're believing in their language. Amen. Soon, and uh, so that, that what you and I believe together for to come out on this day could be helping somebody years from now, and so it's all very significant, very important. This scripture says, "The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward." Aren't you glad that he is Amen. patient? Long-suffering. That's one of the things I am most in awe of him about, is his patience. I mean, your patience can be gone. I mean, fried, frayed, long gone, and his has barely begun. And sometimes you'll see him with other people and you'll think, why does he put up with that? Why does he keep tolerating that? And you better be glad he's that way. Because he's not just that way with them. (laughs) He's that way with you and me. Somebody say long-suffering. Long-suffering. That means you suffer with it or you put up with it long. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Contrary to what many have preached, it is not God's will that any should perish. In any degree. Perishing, being destroyed, being judged. In Ezekiel, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies. Turn. Why will you die, he said to the people? Judgment comes. But it's never pleasing to God. And it's not his perfect will. It's his perfect will. What's his perfect will? Are we reading the will of God right here? What's his perfect will? That no one. Would perish. But that everybody. Would repent. That's his will. If he had it his way. Nobody would perish. But. Because we really do have a free will and can choose either to believe him or not, either to obey him or not, he's not going to make us do what we should, even if it costs us everything, he's not going to make us and force us. And so if people perish, it won't just be because they messed up or sinned, because I don't care what kind of sin you're talking about, if you would repent, there's forgiveness. And restoration. It wouldn't be because of the sin they committed or the failure. It'd be because of what? They, they refused to repent. They wouldn't repent. Because if you'll repent, you can be spared judgment and destruction. And that's some of the best news we ever heard in our life. Amen. Isn't it? Yes. Go to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy and the uh, second chapter. 2 Timothy 2 and 24. 2 Timothy 2, 24 says, The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Listen to the Living Bible on this one. Verse 25. The Living Bible says, Be humble when you're trying to teach those who are mixed up concerning the truth. If you talk meekly and courteously to them, they're more likely, with God's help, to turn away from their wrong ideas and believe what is true. No matter how serious something is, you don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be harsh about it. Proverbs says, the sweetness of the lips increases learning. And you find out you'll get a lot further sometimes instead of telling somebody something, asking a question and being kind. That's what he's talking about. And he goes on to say in verse uh, 26, then they'll come to their senses and escape from Satan's trap of slavery to sin, which he uses to catch them whenever he likes, and then they can begin doing the will of God. What allows this to be possible? Repentance. The gift of repentance. Sometimes when people have heard about repentance, they kind of cringe and think, "Eh, okay, I don't know if I'll be excited about this subject. It's one of the most wonderful things you ever heard about. It's a gift. It's a gift that allows you to wake up and quit being in bondage and get free from the devil's traps and tricks and quit wasting your life and serve God and make a difference. It's affected through repentance. Somebody say, Thank God for repentance. Then we saw in 1 Corinthians 10 13, you don't have to turn there, they'll just put it up on the screen for us. 1 Corinthians 10 13, he says, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Let me read the Living Bible on this one. He said, No temptation is irresistible. He went on to say in the King James, He said, uh, God's faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. But with the temptation make a way to escape. The Young's literal translation says an outlet. If you're tempted. If you're pressed, Is there a way out of doing that? Do you have to sin? Do you have to succumb to pressures and temptations? No, you never do. You never do. I don't care what's going on, there's always a way out of it, if we'll take it. There is no temptation that's irresistible. Sometimes people try to leave that impression, well, it just happened. It was just bigger than I could deal with. It It just overwhelmed me. Next thing I knew, I had done it. Lies, lies, lies. Not true. Not true. This verse is true. If you're a believer, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And if you'll take it, there is a way out. A way to resist it and not yield to it and not fall and not fail. But what if you do? Even though you had a way out, you didn't take it. <laughs> if you didn't take the way out, is there a way back. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank God. Yes. I said, thank God. Yes. Thank God there is. Yes. And that's described in 1 John. 1 John 3. They'll put it up on the screen for us. 1 John 3. And yes, this is written to believers. He said, that which we have seen and heard. 1 John 1.3, I should have said. 1 John 1.3. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This is talking, this began talking about fellowship. Unbelievers are not having fellowship with Jesus and the Father. This is talking about believers. And broken fellowship is misery. Us and the Father, us and Jesus, by His Spirit, When things are right between you and God, it's wonderful. The grass is greener, the sky is bluer, things are right. Things are right with you because things are right with him. But if you know better, the Bible says to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it's sin. If you violate light and you don't know what you know he wanted you to do or you do what you know he didn't want you to do. Well, you got broken fellowship. That doesn't mean you're lost to hell. That doesn't mean he doesn't love you anymore. But it's just like with other people that you have a relationship with. You've offended against them. You've done what you know is wrong. There was a way out, but you didn't take it. Oh, but even if you messed up, even if you messed up terribly, is there a way back? Yes. Is there a way back into full fellowship? Yes. Yes. Full fellowship like before you messed it up. Is there a way back? And you know what it is? It's the same thing. It's repentance. It's It's the gift of God. And you see about it in verse 9. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, if we'll acknowledge that we didn't do what we knew we should have done, if we'll acknowledge we did what we knew was wrong. He is what? Faithful. Faithful And just. Now the reason he's just is because Jesus has paid the price for it. He can forgive us. He can treat us like we didn't do it. Because Jesus paid for it. Became accursed on the cross in our place and was judged for it. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, friend, if you're forgiven and you're cleansed from all of it, then... It's like it didn't happen. That's right. right? And so your fellowship is completely restored. Back to full fellowship. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel ashamed. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't have to act like, well, I, you know, I just don't feel right. I feel like he's, every time he looks at me, he's thinking about that. No, he said, I won't remember it. I won't remember it. So he's not thinking about it. You know what he's thinking about when he looks at you? When you're walking in all the light that you have? You know what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees the purity of the blood. He sees the holiness of Jesus because his has become yours by faith in him. And so you can fellowship with him and he with you and he can bless you as though you had never sinned. It's not too good to be true. It is the gospel. It is the good news. Somebody say, "Thank thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 1 Corinthians 11, he is writing to the church, to the saints, saved ones, at the church of Corinth, and he's correcting them because they are not acknowledging the body and treating the body of Christ with respect. Now, they were that has a twofold application. They were coming together in what they were calling the Lord's Supper, communion. We're going to observe communion together today. But it was turning into a, a glut fest, if you will. People were just pigging out and people were showing off. And, and read the whole chapter sometime carefully and you'll see some people were leaving hungry. While other people were leaving overstuffed. And people were being cliquish. They were eating in their little groups. The rich people were eating together and the poor people were eating together. And uh, the Lord told them, you're not discerning the body of Christ. And because you're not, verse 30, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep or have died or have died prematurely. So this is not something that's happened a time or two. This happened over a period of months or years, I guess. A period of time had happened. And he said, verse 31, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Even in judgment, there's the Lord's mercy that we don't wind up with the world. So, The most serious offenses that occur, friend, are the ones he's talking about right here, is mistreating our fellow Christian. That is the violation of the New Testament commandment. Isn't it? What did Jesus say? This is the commandment. What? That you love one another. How? As I have loved you. How has he loved us? He loved us to the point of sacrificing everything to save us and, and help us. And so it's not love when you know that you're making your brother feel bad and you're making them look bad. You're treating them as inferior. And what you have in doing, you're boasting of it and making small and diminishing them. And he said, you're not discerning the body of Christ. Why? Because just like they weren't observing the physical body of Christ, just having a feast instead of honoring the body. Well, they weren't acknowledging these people are just as much part of the body of Christ as I am. And there's nothing secondary or inferior about them. And if I cared about them, what would you do? You'd, you'd Instead of trying to make them look bad, you'd want to help them. Yeah. So the most serious violations are if we hurt each other. And so anytime something bothers your heart about some action or some failure of action with your brother or sister, that needs to be corrected immediately. You need to judge yourself. And say, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. It made them feel bad. It made them look bad. It, it hurt their feelings for no reason. I should have done this. It would have helped. It would have made a difference. Love is not just in talk. It's in action. It's in deed. Can you say amen? Yeah, amen. So the key though is uh, judgment can be avoided. If we'll do what? If we'll judge ourselves, which is repentance. Now go back with me to Luke, the 13th chapter, and you see this in the words of Jesus. Man, there's so much light here. So many answers to questions that people think there's no answer to. It's been here all the time. Luke 13 and 1. There were present at that season some that told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. They were sacrificing animals, shedding their blood, and for some reason, Pilate, he sent soldiers and slaughtered them, and their blood spilled with the blood of the sacrifice, killed them. Verse 2, Jesus said, Do you suppose that those Galileans that were slaughtered that they were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. Now this is a mentality that persists to this day. If bad things happen to somebody and they didn't happen to these, it must be because they're worse people than these people that they didn't happen to for some reason. And Jesus said what? Verse 3. What'd Jesus say? No. Nay means what? No, no that's not true. They weren't worse people than everybody else around there because that happened to them and didn't happen to everybody else. But except you what? Repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now we've seen this in the mouth of more than three witnesses in the New Testament. Repentance is the alternative to perishing. And that's what he's talking about now. And we've been asking the wrong questions. When people say, why did God let this happen? Or some even say it's different. They say, why did God do this? When in many cases, God didn't do it. It wasn't him doing it. But but people say, why didn't God spare us from that? Or why didn't God protect us from that? That is the question to ask because you want to assume it was God's will to protect us. Why wasn't he able to is the question. And if you examine the case again and again, people have pushed God out. They have said, we don't want God. We don't believe in God. He can't be in this. He can't be in that. We're not going to do what he said. But then when you need protection, oh, please come, God help us. you pushing him away with one hand, trying to get him back with the other. That's, that's a problem. You either want him or you don't. And the problem is not, you know, God didn't do it when it's destruction. It's not his will that any should perish. But the question is, why wasn't he able to spare them from that? And Jesus tells us it's because they didn't repent. And if you don't repent, the same thing can happen to you. Isn't that what he's saying? What can protect us? What can spare come on are you listening say this yes. is this is so important do you want to be spared yes. do you want to be kept do you want to be protected yes. then if and when you miss it judge yourself Amen. not tomorrow not next week yes. judge yourself and come before the lord and say i missed it i missed it yes. and i judged myself i shouldn't have done that that was wrong i repent and repent It's not just lip service. It means you change. It's a change of heart. It's a change of action. You change. And then if you really do that, if you genuinely do that and you judge yourself, what is the wonderful last part of that verse? You won't be judged. The bad things that have happened to others won't happen to you. And it's not because... You're a more perfect person than them or that your faith is so perfect or that your life is so perfect. It's just that you repented. You repented. You judged yourself. He goes on to say another example. Those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Do you think they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you what. No, this would be like watching something on the news and a building collapsed and fell on people and killed 18 of them. People said, I wonder why that happened to those people. There were other people It didn't, I mean, it could have fell to the east instead of the west and it would have killed these people over here. Why did these people get killed and these people not get killed? Well, God just needed some more angels in the choir and- <laughs> And he killed them. Well, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. It would have been his will that nobody got crushed by the building. Now, I know you've heard a bunch of other stuff in religious circles and maybe growing up half your life, but read the B-I-B-L-E. Amen. God's not willing that any, any should perish. It's the devil that comes to steal kill and destroy. And so when something bad happens and destruction and terrible things occur, the question should not be, why did God do this? Why did God let this happen? That is not the question to be asking. The question is, why couldn't he have protected them? And we need to understand, if we don't do something differently, he wouldn't be able to protect us either. What enables him to protect us? Come on, help me. What enables if I'll judge myself? I won't get judged. He'll be able to keep me. Even though I did some stuff that was deserving of punishment, I judged myself. I repented. So no, I don't deserve it anymore. Because the one who didn't deserve it took it and paid it. And I'm resting in that. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And and this next part goes right with it. Verse 6, he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came and sought fruit thereon and found none. He said to the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I came seeking fruit on the fig tree and find none. Cut it down. That's judgment. What's going to happen to the tree? It's out of here. It's destroyed. No more opportunity. No more time to produce fruit. Why cumbers it the ground? But he answered and said to him, Lord, let it alone this year also. Till I dig about it and dung it. And if, somebody say if. If it bear fruit, if it changes, then good. In other words, what? Well, we'll keep it. But if Not if what not? If it doesn't change. Then after that, you'll cut it down. That's intercession. I said, that's intercession. It's about to be judged. It's about to be destroyed. Somebody steps in and says, Lord, give it some more time, please. Give it some more time. And then what happens? Is it about to be cut down? The master of the vineyard has said, cut it down. But can that be changed? Oh, here's something a lot of folks have not seen. Somebody said, well, the Lord said it's going to happen. Yes, but. But. It can be changed. Look in Isaiah, the 38th chapter, please. People get in a lot of trouble. Because of ignoring Scripture, just emphasizing on one thought, Scripture must be rightly divided. All the Scriptures have to agree. In Isaiah 38.1, Isaiah 38.1, in those days Hezekiah was sick unto death. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and says, Thus saith the Lord. Now this is not, I was praying and, and picked this up this morning. This is this is something much stronger. This is the ministry of the prophet. He actually heard the Lord say this. These are not Isaiah's words. This is the Lord's words he's repeating. Thus saith the Lord. Set your house in order. For you shall die and not live. Is that the word of the Lord? Yes. Well then it's over, right? I mean, pick your funeral songs. Right? Get your plot ready. But have you read the rest of the story? (laughs) He didn't die then. Something happened. Yeah, but the Lord said he's going to die. Yeah, but he didn't right then. Yeah, but he said he was. Yeah, but he didn't. (laughs) See, the master of the vineyard said, cut the fig tree down. But they didn't. He gave it some more time. Keep reading. Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. He got serious about this. And he prayed to the Lord. wonder if he did any repenting during all this. He turned his face to the wall. He got serious about God. Keep reading. And he talks about, uh, you know, what he had done in his life. And he wept sore. He cried. Has he got a humble heart? Do you reckon he's open to making some changes? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Verse 4. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go say to Hezekiah, I told you you're going to die, and you're going to die. So quit bothering me. Because when I say it, that's it. No. To hear some folks preach, you'd think that's what he said. Thus says the Lord, I heard your prayer. Reckon you still hears prayers today? Yes. I've seen your tears. Does he know it when you're sincere, when you're serious? Behold, I will add to your days 15 years. Yeah, but you're about to die. Either today or this week or whatever. I mean, it was imminent. And now we got another decade and a half. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent Some people read and they say, well, that means God can't change. No, don't take that out of context. God's character, who he is, what he is, is not going to change, doesn't need to change. He's perfect. But in these kind of situations, if you will change, he will change what's going to happen to you. It's not set in stone. Did Hezekiah change? Yes. Did the Lord change what was going to happen to him? Yes. yes, he did. It's obvious. And I want you to notice in verse uh, 18, well, verse 17, 38:17. 17, after you'd been healed, Hezekiah praises God and he says, behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but you have in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For you cast all my sins behind your back. Amen. <laughs> we know he repented. He's done my sins. Yeah. And did the Lord forgive him? Yeah. And spare, you reckon uh, Hezekiah judged himself? Yeah. He did. Yeah. And he goes on to say, the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot celebrate you. They that go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living, he shall praise you as I do this day. Yeah. Nothing like being a breath away from death to get you excited about living. The living. The living. They'll praise you like I do since I'm the living. The father to the children shall make known your truth. Now get this verse 20. Get this verse 20. Verse 20. Because the Lord meant to kill me. Hmm? The Lord intended for me to die. No. No. Well, why would he tell him you're going to die? Set your house in order. Because you're going to die. Who told him that? The Lord. Well, then why didn't he die? Does that mean the word of the Lord didn't come to pass? No. No. Hezekiah changed. And because Hezekiah changed, the Lord could do what he wanted to do all the time. Yes. Right. The Lord was what? He was ready. He was ready to save him. When he told him to set his house in order. He's going to die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was hoping he would do that. Right. Yeah. Now what if Hezekiah hadn't have repented? He'd have died. He'd have died just like. Right? Yeah. It would have happened. But because he was willing. To turn his face to the wall and pray and cry and get real with God and get serious and get willing and teachable. And he was willing to change because he changed. God changed what happened to him and was justified in doing it. Can you see this, saints? Go to the book of Jonah, please. One of the greatest stories about this is the story of Jonah. Four chapters, short, short chapters. You want to read this again. Uh, it, it wouldn't hurt you to read it this week. Read Jonah. I mean, the chapters are very short, very short. It, it'll take you hardly any time at all to read the whole thing. But it is an amazing story of exactly what we're talking about today. Because you remember the Lord told Jonah. Jonah 1 and 1, are you there? They'll put it on the screen for us. I know that, that may be back where your pages are stuck together. But. Jonah 1 and 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said what? Go to Nineveh, the great city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. Are they about to be chopped down? Is judgment impending? Is it the will of God for them to be judged and destroyed? No. No. It's not his will Uh -uh. that any should perish. But if you won't judge yourself, what, what can happen? You get judged. And whose fault would it be? You wouldn't repent. You wouldn't change. You wouldn't judge yourself. So verse 3, Jonah runs the other direction. Ran from the presence of the Lord. How many know you cannot run away from the presence of the Lord? He's trying to get away from this direction, from this call, from this assignment. So he takes a ship, which would be the equivalent of getting an airplane ticket today. He tries to get as far away from this as he can. But I mean, you can take the fastest plane and you can go the furthest point at some deserted island and you peek out from behind a, a palm tree and God will say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm trying to get away from you. You're not going to be able to do it. Right? <laughs> but he did. And you know the story? The storm came and Jonah's down in the, in the hall asleep. And they came and they said, man, get up and pray. We're all about to die out here. And finally, they, they, they cast lots and said, why is this happening to us? And the lot fell on Jonah. And he told them, well, it's because I ran away from God and didn't do what he told me. And they said, so what do we do? He said, you've got to throw me overboard. And they said, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And so they rowed hard. And it, now nah, it's getting worse and worse. So they finally they said, okay, okay. And they pitched him overboard. And the Bible said God had prepared a great fish. Some people say a whale or whatever. And some people say there's no way a man lives inside a great whale or a fish for three days and nights. I reckon if the Bible said God prepared it. God, that's right. I reckon if God prepared it, you could live inside a volcano that's right. for three days. <laughs> Come on, are you listening to me? Right. Don't give me this stuff. No. You, you don't know what you're talking about. Right. The God who created it. Yeah, that's right. Right. Oh, yeah. Anyway, he's inside some form of sea animal (laughs) for three days and nights. And you know what happened when he was in there? (laughs) He decided to repent. (laughs) Can we read about it? He's got seaweed wrapped around his head. He's crying out to God. He said, God, it's dark in here and it stinks. And oh, God, if if you'll get me out, please. Oh, God, I will go to Nineveh. I will do what you told me to do. I repent. I repent. I repent. And uh, the fish got sick of it. (laughs) And threw him up on the shore. Don't you know he looked and smelled something, like something when he came into town preaching. <laughs> and he's chapter 3 and verse 4. Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and he said, Yet 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. Where did he get that? From the Lord. From the Lord. He's quoting the Lord verbatim. Yeah. In less than two months. A month and a half. And this whole city. Nineveh in those days was a city like Tampa. I mean it was one of the biggest. It was a huge city. And he said that city is going to be no more. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be no more in less than two months. And verse 5. The people of Nineveh who were obviously wicked, wicked people. They heard that. And unlike many church-going Christians, they believed it. They thought, what? Our city's going to be destroyed in less than two months? And they proclaimed a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. They all went to fasting and praying and repenting. Verse 6. The word came to the king of Nineveh. He got off his throne. He took his robe off. He put sackcloth on him and sat down in ashes. He's repenting, asking God to spare Yeah. Are they judging themselves? What will happen if you'll judge yourself? You won't be judged. Verse 7, he caused it to be proclaimed and published. I mean, nobody eats anything. Everybody's fasting. Nobody even drinks any water. Verse 8, and so... Man and beast, covered with sackcloth, crying mightily to God. Let them turn everyone from his evil way. That is one of the literal definitions of repentance. Amen. Right? Amen. It's a change. It's a heart change. It's a mind change. It's a life change. Amen. Turn away from this. Quit doing this. And turn to this. Start doing this. Are they having some major change going on throughout that whole city? Yeah. From the top to the bottom. Amen. Verse 9. Who can tell if God will turn and repent? Repent means to change. And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. Verse 10. And God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way. And God did what? Repented of the evil that he had said that he would do to them. And he what? He didn't do it. Yeah, but he said he was going to do it. Yeah, but he didn't do it. See, friend, these things are not set in stone. If we'll change, he'll change. What's going to happen to us? Oh, thank God. Thank God. No matter how evil people have been, no matter how long it's gone, no longer how bad it is, is there a way out? Is there a way out from the destruction And the devastation. And the judgment. And is there a way back? No matter how cold and calloused and ungodly you became. Is there a way back into complete sweet fellowship with him? Close, intimate fellowship with him. It is. It's made possible by the blood of the lamb. By the work of the cross. By his present day ministry. Where he ever lives to make intercession for us. At the right hand of the Father on high. But. It will not be accessed. All this grace. As wonderful as it is. It will not be accessed. Unless we're willing to turn. And repent. And believe. Can you see this in the scripture saints. And. uh, God. Changed what he said. Was going to happen. Because what he said was going to happen was based on how they were then. Now, since they have changed, he can do what he wanted to do all along. He was ready to spare them. He was ready to save them. But they had to repent. And this made Jonah furious. Furious. Turn to the fourth chapter. And the second verse. Jonah prayed to the Lord and he said, I pray you, Lord, wasn't this my saying when I was yet in my country? That's why I left. That's why I got on the boat. Why? Because I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. I knew. I knew you. I knew I might go over there and preach. And then if they repent, Whew, you're not going to do it. So what does that make me? <laughs> Everything I said is not coming to pass. What are they going to say about Jonah? False prophet, false prophet. See, his pride was why he ran. And he knew God well enough to know that if they'd repent, it wouldn't happen. That's why he ran. Because he didn't want his message not to come to pass. Besides that, you know, they they didn't have the law of love in those days. He might have thought, I'd just soon see Nineveh wiped off the map, you know. They're not friends of ours. Good riddance. Because if I go preach to them, they may repent. And then if they repent, it won't happen. And my preaching will not come to pass. He got so mad, he sat out there and he glared at the city. And he said, I wish I was dead. I just wish I was dead. Why? It's hard on your pride. You said it's going to be destroyed in less than two months. Two months now has come and gone. And it didn't happen. And yet, was he telling them the true word of the Lord? Yes. He was. He was. Go with me, please. In closing, I think. To Luke. Luke, the 13th chapter, and one of the most beautiful stories in the Word of God concerning what we're talking about today. You know, Jonah's out there, and God caused a, a plant, a gourd plant to grow, and he got some shade, and he was so happy about it, and then the gourd plant died and left, and he started cursing his day again. I wish I was just dead. Wish I, and the Lord said, look at you. You're upset about this little gourd plant. Came in a day or two, left in a day or two. Why shouldn't you care about this huge city with all these kids be spared? Tell me what God's will is. It's never his will that people be judged, that people be destroyed. I don't care whether it's with storms or with so-called natural disasters or with wars or with economic upheavals, never, never, never is that the perfect will of God for people to suffer and be destroyed and be stolen from. Never. The question is not, why did God do it? Because he's not the destroyer. Why God let it happen? He must have had some purpose. You're still thinking wrong. The question is, why couldn't he protect them from it? Why couldn't he spare them from it? Whether it's you, me, whoever it is. And we know the answer to it because Jesus gave us the answer. Why can he spare some people and others he can't? Because some will repent and some won't. And if you'll judge yourself, you won't be judged. Luke 15. In the 15th chapter in the 7th verse, the Lord said this. He said, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that does what? that repents more than over 90 and nine just persons who need no repentance. Verse 10, likewise I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Repenting is a big deal, even in heaven, even amongst the angels. It's a, why would it be such a big deal? Because things have now radically been changed. Where there was going to be judgment and death, now that doesn't have to happen. Where somebody was separated from God and unhooked from his plan, now that's all changed. Now instead of death, there's going to be life. Instead of grieving and pain, there's going to be joy. Instead of failure, there's going to be fruitfulness. It is something to rejoice about, both in heaven and on earth. Well, you know it make you rejoice if a child of yours was on the wrong track and messing up their whole life and they came to their senses and they repented and they got straight and their life got good again. Wouldn't that make you shout? Wouldn't that give you joy? Yes. You know it does. Yes. Well, it does our Father. Amen. And it does those that are around His presence and the angels. Somebody say, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Well, down later in the chapter, the same 15th chapter, is the story Of the so-called prodigal son. And we see how. That he came to his father. And requested of him. That he get his inheritance. Now. Verse 11. Luke 15. A certain man had two sons. The younger of him came to his father. And said father give me the portion of goods. That falls to me. And he divided unto them. His living. Now the father didn't have to do this. But he did. Why? Because this is not wrong. What's happening here is not wrong. God wants us to have our inheritance. He wants us to have plenty. He wants us to have enough faith and confidence to come boldly to him and ask him for it. Believe we receive it. Some people think they're being humble by not asking. But the Bible says you have not. Because you don't ask. Now uh, the problem comes next. Verse 13, after not many days, after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now notice, he wanted to get away from father. He wanted to get away from his church. He wanted to get away from his family. Why? Because he wants to live a different way. And he took all this money that he had, and he partied. He partied hard. He partied long. He partied into the night. And, and when you got money to party, you will have party friends. As long as the money lasts. (laughs) And so he had all, he had this entourage with him. And when they showed up, man, they rolled out the carpets for him. Why? Because he's a big spender. Spending daddy's money. Keep reading. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. Isn't that something? Same time he ran out of money, the economy goes upside down. And he began to be in want. Now, is he in hard times? He's in lack. He's in want. Was that the will of the father? No, he left father's house. The moment he left father's house, he got out of the will of the father. And all this stuff that has happened since he left Father's house. None of that was the will of God nor the plan of God. That's his choice. That's his doing. And now it's gotten hard. Verse 15. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him out in the fields to feed his pigs. Which is about as low as a Jewish boy can go. (laughs) Sixteen. And he would feign. He's in such a bad way. He gets to looking at the pig food. In the pig trough where the pigs are eating it. And pigs are not clean. And so their food is not clean. And it's stink. And it's mud. And it's filth. And he's in such a bad way. He gets to looking and goes, you know, there's a little bit of corn left on that cob. <laughs> That's not a bad piece of bread. <laughs> and... Uh, no man gave to him. Where is his party buddies now? Where, where are they? Not a one of them. Not a one is around. Verse 17. And when he came to himself. Some folks have to get in a bad way. Before they come to himself. I heard one preacher say this one time. Said he said he pulled off his watch and sold it. And, and then he pulled off his shoes and sold them. And he pulled off his coat and he sold it. And he pulled off his shirt and he came to himself. he got down to the bottom tell me what it's time to do saints what what is it time to do what is it time to do it is time to judge yourself and repent and that's exactly what he did that's why this story is in the book he said how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare in other words he's this guy's pig feeder, and his father has employees, and they eat well and do well, and I'm out here starving. The people that work for my daddy eat good and live good. I'm his son, but I'm out here starving. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I know we haven't always seen eye to eye. And you don't approve of everything I've said and done. And you've never loved me. But I've got to be myself. And I've got to live my own life. <laughs> that ain't repentance. I said, that's not repentance. What, how much change is there in that? There's no change. And if you don't judge yourself, you will be judged. The only way to prevent judgment, the only way to avoid perishing is to repent. And repentance is not just a light change of mind. Repentance is a very real change of heart. And if your heart changes, really, your thinking will change. Your talking will change. What you do and don't do will change. If your heart changes, your life changes. If your life didn't change, your heart didn't change. You know, it's possible to come fall at the altar and cry and pray for three hours and never repent. You can feel bad that somebody found out about it. You can be ashamed that you got caught and cry and feel bad. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. What's repentance? Help me out. What's repentance? Repentance is a heart change. Your heart changes. And when your heart changes, your life changes. Every time. Is that happening with this boy? He said, I'm going to my father. And I'm going to say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. No blame on anybody else. Right? Is he taking full responsibility for what he's done? Is he saying, well, some people said it was a sin. I don't know. know, Some people do it. Some people don't. No, no, no. You judge yourself. You call sin, sin. I did it. I knew better. I shouldn't have done it. It was wrong. I have sinned. Say it out loud. I have sinned. When you've messed up, that's what you say. And you don't add to it. You don't take from it. You don't explain it. So many people have ruined a good apology with an explanation. (laughs) I'm sorry, I did such and such. But, you know, if that had helped me or if this had happened, and that, there's no repentance there. You're still defending yourself? Still justifying yourself? Your heart hadn't changed. I did it. I'm responsible. It's sin. There's no excuse. I didn't have to. I shouldn't have. And I feel bad about it. I'm sorry about it. And I'm not going to do it again. If you mean it, now we're talking. That's something God can work with. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Keep going. I'm no more worthy to be called your son, but just make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Who came to who? I said, who came to who? Now, if you've offended against the father, does he need to come to you and make it right with you? No, no. He's not the one that got away. You're the one that left. You need to come to him. He arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. And had compassion. And ran. And fell on his neck and kissed him. Pig stink and all. Is this what the father wanted all along? Why didn't he go get him? Why didn't the Father go find him and drag him back? It wouldn't have done any good. If his, unless his heart had changed, he'd have immediately left again. Right? You can't make people change their heart. And if they won't listen to God, then they're not going to listen to you. There's only one thing to fix it. And that's something that only you can do for yourself. Humble your heart and repent. And judge yourself and repent. Amen. Oh, but when you do, was the father glad to see him? Was the father, oh, he was so joyed to see him. He ran. He grabbed him. He kissed him. Verse 21. And the boy goes into his repentance speech. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's, he's about to say, just make me like one of the hired hands, please. Just like so I can have something to eat. But the father interrupted him. He said, bring the best robe I got. Put It on this boy. Bring my big ring, you know, the big one with the diamonds and rubies. Put it on his hand. And my $2,000 shoes. Bring them. Put it on his feet. <laughs> Glory to God. And get the fatted calf and kill it. We're going to have veal. Let's eat. Let's be merry. Keep reading. For my son was dead and he's alive again. He's lost and he's found. And they begin to be merry. And we know in heaven they're merry when this happens. right? We just got through reading it. They rejoice. They're glad. Why? Because judgment is prevented. Destruction is avoided. And separation is no more. There's complete restoration. Is he treating him like his boy? Is he treating him like he didn't even leave? Why? It's not just what you've done. It's are you willing to repent? And if you're willing to repent, if we'll confess it, did he confess it? 1 John 1, 9, if we'll confess it, God is gracious and merciful and faithful and righteous to forgive you and to cleanse you. And if you're really forgiven and you're really cleansed, it's like it didn't happen. Somebody say glory to God.